All right, we are back to podcast, and I hope everyone has had a good week. Um, I'm thankful, grateful for all of the blessings of God uh, in our lives, and uh, it's been a good week in the Lord. And uh, if you've had fellowship with Him before now, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you gaining what you can gain from teaching and preaching. But um, nothing in the world substitutes what you get from God in your own your own Bible studies. All right, Ephesians chapter number three. Uh, be here, be uh, prepared Sunday nine thirty. We um, already have the message on my heart. I'm still working on it, um, but I, it's it's out of a wonderful chapter. In fact, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible uh, is is actually what we're dealing with on uh, on Sunday. So um, I'm very much looking forward to that. Ephesians three. Um, we we covered some of the opening portion of Ephesians three uh, the last time, but I told you we would go back and look at the mysteries. Um, so let's start in verse number one. For this cause, I Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Okay, um, so Paul here in Ephesians three is uh, speaking concerning the Gentiles, and he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles. He's, here's what you got to understand about Paul, and I've, I've illustrated this a lot during preaching. Um, when, when he was lost, okay, when he was a Pharisee, when he was following the religion of the Jews, the strictest sect of it, so think about the strictest sect, say, of of Christianity. You know, you, you get uh, real far strict to the right, independent Baptist. You get that some Church of God in that way. Okay, uh, you think about it in other realms of of religion. Well, Paul was of the strictest sect. He was he was the the far right strict sect of of uh, Judaism and a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And so when Paul was killing Christians, here's what's hard for us to grasp. You and I look at Paul knowing what we know, knowing our salvation, knowing what the Bible says about being persecuted for Christ's sake, about the resurrection, about what we believe and so forth. And Paul's killing people like us you know, it's hard for us to fathom the fact that Paul was following the Word of God in the Old Testament. He he was not wrong in what he was doing in accordance to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, the Bible was teaching uh, a stoning of anyone that that would proclaim themselves the Jews to proclaim themselves to be God as a false prophet, okay? And the followers thereof. Well, Jesus was proclaiming to be God, the Son of God, putting himself equal with God. And then these Christians are followers. And so Paul was following what his religion was teaching him to the T. 
Now, having said that, that wasn't Christianity, by the way. And so Paul gets saved in Acts chapter 9. And just like God, this is how God operates. You've got a man that was the strictest of the Jewish religion, strictest of the Hebrews of the Hebrews, the strictest of, of, of all, okay? And ladies and gentlemen, now when he gets saved, he gets called into the ministry. Guess what? He is now a missionary, an apostle, a preacher to the Gentiles. That's God. That's God. So, he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Because of y'all, because of my ministry to y'all, I'm a prisoner. And he did it gladly. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Okay? The dispensations. I touched on that last time. And, and of course, this we, we live... Um, in, in the dispensation of the grace of God, okay? But there, there's actually seven dispensations, which uh, shouldn't surprise us, seven being the number of completion. I'm going to give them to you, but and, and we may not get through chapter 3 again, but I want to teach you some things in these Bible studies. I want to work off of words because I, I, I talked about it a little bit last time, but I want to I want to give you the the actual examples. A dispensation is a time period. Again, it, it comes from the word dispense. So it's a time period in which God would dispense truth, dispense how he he handles and deals and operates with people. And so the first dispensation for mankind is the dispensation of innocence. Okay, this is Adam and Eve, first man, first woman. They enjoy innocence. They they have a, a fellowship with God. They have a time with God. Uh, they talk with Him in the cool of the day, like I've been teaching about. That's the dispensation of innocence. That's number one. Number two is the dispensation of conscience. Okay, the dispensation of conscience is uh, it gets along the time of of Cain and Abel, or I'm sorry, not the time of Cain and Abel. But when their conscience kicked in, after they had sinned against God, if you recall, no one told them that they were naked. They knew that they were naked, and they tried to cover themselves. That was their conscience kicking in. Before the, before the fall, before the sin, there was no need for a conscience. Okay, A conscience works in conjunction, or the Holy Spirit works in conjunction in triggering our consciences. Okay, so our conscience kicks in upon doing wrong, and the Spirit of God convicts us. Okay, so there are two different things, but they do work in conjunction one with another. So the dispensation of conscience is when Adam and Eve began to realize their need. Then you've got the dispensation of human government. Okay, this this was the time of, of Noah... Uh, the authority of men beginning to reign on the earth, capital punishment was instituted, um, the Tower of Babel, all of that was when men started to govern uh, themselves um, and, and have human government. That's the dispensation of human government. 
Then you've got the dispensation of promise. That was Abraham. Okay? God promised the promised land to Abraham. So that's the time period in God's dealing with Abraham. They're all, most of them are in Genesis until we start moving, uh, moving into the next one. So we got the dispensation of promise where God promised the nation to Israel and, and promised the promised land to Israel. Then you've got the dispensation of law. That's a very long one. That one entered into the picture when God gave the law to Moses and you've got the, you know, you the you got the Pentateuch, and it lasts all the way up until Calvary. Okay, that's the fifth dispensation. Then we go to Calvary, and we've got the sixth dispensation, and that is the dispensation of grace. Okay? Therein is where we live right now. We're living in a day of grace. We're living in a time of grace. We're living in a dispensation of grace. And then finally, number seven, you've got the dispensation of the kingdom age. So you've got many dispensations in which God deals with man and how he deals with man differently. And so understanding that, understanding that when Calvary came and we transition in the book of Acts, Okay, when we begin to transition from uh, being under the law after Calvary or before Calvary to now the grace of God bringing all men to Jesus Christ, not through works of the flesh, but by His grace, by His mercy. When we enter into that, we're in the dispensation of grace. Okay, and therein. You've got to understand your dispensations when you interpret, especially Bible prophecy. Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Matthew 26, especially 24 and 25, have totally been misinterpreted, have totally been mistaught because of not understanding the difference in the Jew and the Gentile and in how God deals with the two within the dispensation of grace and then the dispensation of, of the kingdom, okay? Now, that's the last dispensation, the dispensation of the kingdom. That is the kingdom of heaven, okay? The kingdom of heaven comes to earth. You remember all through Matthew, we read of the kingdom of heaven, okay? The kingdom of God, barely, barely, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is the spiritual kingdom that we enter into upon salvation in grace. Okay? So it's important to understand, and, and this is not an in-depth study. It's just an identification for you because we've approached the word dispensations in the Bible. I've used that term a lot, and I wanted you all to know what I was referring to. So there's seven dispensations. I've just listed them for you. We are in the dispensation of grace that we've seen in Ephesians 2 already. So, and right here in Ephesians 3, the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you. So Paul's given it. God's given it to Paul. Now he's given it to Gentiles. He's given it to Jews, whomever wants to hear it. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. So 
there's seven mysteries stated in the Bible, okay? Um, here, here are the seven, and I'm, we're not going to run these all, but I'm, I'm going to list them. To, I'm sorry, I said seven. There's 12. There's seven dispensations, 12 mysteries. The mystery of the kingdom of heaven, you will see that noted in Matthew 13 and 11. I've already touched on that, that kingdom of heaven. Here's the difference in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and it's imperative that you know it. Thing, I've heard men say they're the same thing. Things that are different are not the same. If they were the same, the same word would have been used. Heaven is a literal, physical place. The kingdom of heaven will come down to earth, okay, literally and physically. God is a spirit. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So when we speak of this, the kingdom of God, it is a spiritual kingdom that one enters into upon salvation. So Matthew 13 and 11 teaches of the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that, that, that God will introduce and induce when he comes back, when Jesus comes back to rule and reign from earth for 1,000 years. Then we've got the dis, the mystery of the Jewish blindness. That is in Romans eleven twenty five, where God blinded the Jews because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. Number three, the mystery of the raising of believers. That's the rapture. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one and fifty two. First Corinthians fifteen fifty two, or a final resurrection. And it's a mystery, but it is a spelled-out mystery in the Bible. Number four, the mystery of the church. Uh, it's revealed in this passage. This is the one this one's talking about, Ephesians 3, 1 through 11. Okay, that was a mystery to the Jews. Rapture was a mystery. The church was a mystery. Uh, the mystery of the gospel, Ephesians 6 and 19, how God can change and Put a man in heaven from through the power of the gospel, the mystery of Christ in the believer. That's the fact that Christ can live in us. That is Colossians 1.27. Christ lives in us, the hope of glory. The mystery of God, Colossians 2, 2 through 2 and 9. The mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16. The mystery of iniquity. Okay, that's the working of Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7. The mystery of the seven stars or angels, Revelation 1 and 20. And the mystery of Babylon, which is something we could look at sometime in a good in-depth prophecy study, Revelation 17, 5 and 7. So those are the seven dispensations and the 12 mysteries in the Bible, all are li- th- these two words we, we delve into in verses 2 and 3. So I wanted to hit that. Now, Paul says, whereby, verse number 4, when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So Paul wants you to understand when you read, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This was all a mystery to the Jews. The, 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 the dispensation of grace was a mystery to the Jew, the mystery of grace. 
In verse 7, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So through grace and through his promise, God made Paul a minister. Verse 8, unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Paul never looked at himself as being at an elevated place. He said he was the least of the apostles. Now he's saying he is the least of the saints. The reason he could say that, the reason he did say that, um, he felt like because of his past, because of the... He he is not stumbling, but he is as perplexed as one of us would be if we, before we got saved, had been killing a certain group of people, and then we got saved and God called us to minister to those people. Okay, And so, it's a mystery to Paul. Paul's almost flummoxed by it. And so, he's looking at himself as being the least of the saints. Paul was never haughty. He was never arrogant. Um, He felt like that is one of the reasons he had the, the thorn in the flesh was to keep him from being haughty and arrogant. But he's simply saying, look... I'm the least of the apostles because I didn't see the resurrected Christ physically, I, or I did, but I didn't see it, uh, you know, here on earth. I got called up to the third heaven. Now, I would say that's a pretty weighty apostle for me, but in Paul's humility, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Now he's saying, I'm the least of all the saints. So it's important to know Paul's humility, okay? And then he says here, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 8, he says, least of all the saints is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He can't even believe he's preaching uh, this gospel message. He can't believe he's preaching about Jesus. He can't believe that God hasn't killed him. He can't believe... And that's how we should be. We may not be guilty of some of the things Paul was guilty of, but we, we're guilty as just as bad. There's no sins, big sins and little sins in the eyes of God. And we should we should hold that same humility in our hearts. I, I can't believe God saved me. I can't believe God's using me. I can't believe this is me sitting in a church. I can't believe this is me living for God. I can't believe this is me you know, doing what's right. I can't, I can't believe this is me. have to pinch myself sometimes. And that's how I feel preaching. I can't believe this is me. Verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So when God give us Genesis 3.15 and the promise of the Savior, He kind of just left it there, and he didn't go into great detail. But over time, and notice that was God's revelation to man. It was little by little, little by little, over periods of time and dispensations. That's why when he teaches us to study the Bible, it's line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, okay? Why? Because you can't consume it all at once. You take what God gives you, you learn it bit by bit, and you do so to be in fellowship with him and to live the proper Christian life. So Paul says here, fellowship of the mystery, which was from the beginning of the world. Verse 10, to the intent 
that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. That means we've got boldness to to enter into the throne room. We've got boldness to preach. We've got boldness to live as Christians. Not just boldness, but confidence. Understand, don't, don't stress about the world not believing it, the world not accepting it, or you being in the minority because God is plainly stating these things are mysteries. Okay? And it's revealed little by little. And it can only be revealed through the Holy Spirit that comes after salvation. Then you've got a Bible to study and learn it little by little. Verse 13, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory, which is your glory. Paul says, I don't want you to faint. I want you to press forward and uh, don't faint at my tribulations. When you see me, under tribulation, when you see me under distress, when you see me under uh, difficulty. Don't faint at that. Don't give up at that. In verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's telling his people that he's praying for them. I'm praying that you faint not. Do you know what I, that's what I do for you? As a preacher, a preacher should pray that his people don't give up and they don't quit and they don't faint. That's what Paul's saying right here. For this cause, what cause? That the people faint not. I don't want to see you quit. I don't want to see you quit coming. That's why when you miss or something, I'll check in on you. I don't want to see you fall out. I don't want to see you give up. I don't want to see you quit. And Paul said, for this cause, for this cause, I bow my knee for you. It's a preacher that loves you that will pray for you. Any preacher will preach to you because that's what they enjoy. That's what they like doing. That's what they were called to do. But it's a preacher that loves you that will pray for you. That's right. Verse number 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Okay, so Paul is praying the blessings and spiritual blessings of glory down on his people, these people, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, that is, all spectrums in measurement, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a mouthful, man. That's what Paul's praying for these people, that they might know the fullness of God. That's what I've been preaching to you on Sunday mornings, is I want you to know God. I, I, yes, I, I believe you're saved. You, you tell me you're saved. I've got to take your testimony at it. But I really, I want you to know him. I want you to know him. I want you to know him. And if, and if we're together at this thing 20 years and, and one of us goes to heaven, I want you to be able to say that that preacher done what he could to teach me to know God. To know God and know what God said in his book. 
And that's what Paul's saying. He said, I'm praying that you might know the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. That's what I want for you and your life is you to be filled with the fullness of God. Man, mm. verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, exceeding abundantly. So abundant means more than enough. Exceeding abundantly means going beyond more than enough. That's that's super abounded. Exceeding abundantly above. That means going above all that we ask or think. Think about the things you think about, you ask ask for, you want from God. Think about all these things. Okay? Think about all these things. The Bible says, Now unto him that is exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Okay? Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Okay? Do you see those beautiful words right there? That Him that is able to do above. Think about the prayer that you think about the most. The, the things that you consider, you pray about, all of these things, you think about that and God is able to go above and beyond it in a, in a way that you never considered before. That's, that's God. That's what God wants for you. And I wish you could understand that, that God wants the best for you. He wants more than you want for yourself. He wants more fellowship with you than what you realize. He wants you to have more of Him then, and that's the beauty of this thing, friend. It's the fact that God wants this for us. He wants the blessings for us. And that's what Ephesians is trying to tell us. That's what Paul is trying to, to communicate. That's what he's trying to let the Ephesian people know is that God wants more for you than what you could possibly want for yourself. He says, not only above and beyond all that you're asking, he said, above and beyond all that you ask or think, even some of the things that you think of that you don't even ask. That's how good God wants to be to us. And I, I'm of the belief in prayer. I really am. And I used to not be that this way. I, I'm going to be frank with you. I'm of the belief in prayer that we, we shortchange what God wants us to do or wants to do for us. We shortchange the blessings that God wants to give us. We shortchange the goodness that He wants to, to give to us and do for us. And, and, and that being the case, it's not limiting Him, but God, we, we need to remember that God wants to do for us even more than what we want, want Him to do for us. And I wasn't always like that. I, I remember when I was, you know, I was in the mountains, I was pastoring and, and so forth. Man, I just, man, I, I just thought, God, I, man, I, I never had any hard times or struggles, you know. And and I knew then that I, I there was nothing I was afraid to ask him, and I knew he was going to answer it. I mean, man, it wasn't a matter of, uh, of uh, if he was going to answer it. It was a matter of when he was going to answer it. And then I had some stuff happen, 
I had some bad things happen to me, some things that I didn't pray for, some things that, that were life-changing. And my confidence in my prayer life got shot, to be honest with you. Confidence in my prayer life got shaken. And I began to limit God uh, in my mind and in my heart. But over a period of years, over a period of years of healing and and being closer to God, every year I'll write down things I want answered. And I'm telling you, every single year, God has answered those prayers. Every single year. He's done it this year. And so, I want you, I want to leave this lesson. I want to leave this time together tonight to encourage you to pray. And to not just pray for run of the mill, but to pray for things that that you don't even ask for sometimes. You just think about them and watch God bless you beyond things that you even think about. That's what I want to leave you with. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Ephesians chapter number 3, part 2. Ephesians 3, part 2. Good night, God bless, and I love each of you.